Welcome to Flourishing Within Planetary Boundaries. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Naylor. This is the show where we embrace the real physical limits that exist on this planet and learn how to work with them to create thriving and flourishing people, communities, and ecosystems. I have found in my life and work that some of the most creative and ingenious solutions come about because there are real physical limits and constraints. To solve our problems, we're forced to think and act differently. And that can be a very powerful place to work from. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Naylor. And today I'm talking about creating the world we want with imperfect action. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably like to make plans and think of them from all different angles before you actually implement them and put them into action. But I'm here to tell you that no matter how hard we try and how much work we put into it, our plans and ultimately our action are going to be imperfect. And that's fine. So now it's so no secret that my own vision is to create this world where we all have this capacity to thrive and flourish and be and feel healthy and have this capacity to live to our full potential on this on the planet with this abundant thriving living systems but when it comes down to this you know how do you create this i know there's millions of other people with visions similar to mine probably not identical but similar but how do we create this because it's really clear that we can't rely on governments and large corporations to create this this world, this flourishing world that where we can all flourish within planetary boundaries. They're not going to create it for us. So where do we start? Well, I have made my own four-part process to do this. Um, I'll just go through it very quickly. The first step is imagining and visioning the world we want, just like I gave you my own vision again. The second one is grounding our vision to reality, which is the limits and constraints both on this earth and in our own lives and lifestyles. The third one is learning from the vision around the world, sorry, the wisdom around us. The fourth one is creating and living the transformation. Now, I've really talked a bit about the first three parts in other episodes, and we're going to keep coming back to these because there's so many different angles to look at them from. But today we're focusing on creating and living the transformation. And that's really where the imperfect action comes in. If you are anything like me, like I said at the top, I have a challenge with the imperfect part of action. I always have this clear vision of how I want things to be and what the end result is going to be like. And, you know, I want my actions and my plans to be perfect. I always want everything to go off smoothly without a hitch. But I have come to learn that life is not always as we imagine it will be. And I've also learned that that's not always um, a bad thing because, you know, it allows for wonderful surprises and outcomes to happen that we couldn't even imagine. And this is the challenge and also the exciting part of creating the world we want. In fact, I'll say it's the challenge of taking any form of health or environmental action because we're dealing with these complex systems that we just can't control and 
because of this, there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all product or solution. We can't just go to the store, click on the website, and buy something, a magic box that does everything for us. It just doesn't work that way. Now, I really started learning this in my very first job after I graduated university. I worked in a plant engineering department at a rural manufacturing company. And this was a really unique opportunity and facility. And because we were rural, we didn't have municipal services in the same way you would in a more urban environment. The other uh, water supply that came in both for the process, for firefighting, for drinking water, um, came through our own infrastructure. Um, we had our own wastewater treatment, sewage treatment and and waste disposal site, also known as a landfill, for the waste that were generated by the company. Um, now, one of my first projects at that company was to upgrade the industrial wastewater treatment plant for a new regulation that was coming into, into effect. And this facility was unique. It had a lot of small volumes of, of different wastewater, but they were very different. So you couldn't just combine all these wastes and put them through one treatment and send them out they each had to be treated quite differently before being combined and going through one final process and the other interesting thing i mentioned again we, because we were rural we directly discharged this waste which is why these new regulations were coming into effect to tighten up the standards we had and this is really interesting because the waste, the wastewater that was being discharged was ultimately going into a small creek. And this creek passed through farm, farmland on the way to a major river. So what we put out in the water went through basically different farm fields, which had cattle grazing or corn growing. And so you could directly see the impacts we could have if we didn't do a, you know a good job so we spent a lot you know when I was given this project to do um, I had to do a lot of lab scale experimentation I was under the guidance of some consultants who were technical experts but I was still running the project so we did a lot of lab scale experiments and models to find the right treatments and reconfigure the existing equipment and we had to buy some new equipment expand the facility and there was a lot of hours also spent programming control systems because ultimately we managed this in-house. Uh, a lot of the building and construction was done by skilled trades in-house as well as some skilled contractors. Now, when we first sort of put this all together and, and started turning it on and, and watching it work, the facility and the treatments did not work as we'd hoped for. We had put in the right basic systems and structures. We put in the right treatments, but making them work together and making them work as we really wanted took a lot of hours of manual observations and adjustments to process and controls. It could be something as simple as changing the time, the response, the wait time between when a mixer came on or when a, a pH reading was taken. It could be something as simple as that. 
But the fact was, we just had to keep working through it. Sometimes we even had to turn off the automation and sit and observe the system until we got it right. Even after we got the system working well, we found that something as simple as a lazy operator who did not regularly clean the tanks or keep things clean could eventually plug up pumps and back up the whole system. And also, you know, as waste and process change changed, so did the operation of the, of the treatment plant because it was a dynamic system and it took regular adjustments, care and observation. Now, when we first started off and we designed and built this facility, everybody did the best we could. We had some really high quality people involved. But even when we did the best we could as a team with various expertise, it still took a lot of observation and adjustment to get it working the way we wanted. And this for me is imperfect action. One of the biggest challenges when it comes to creating the world, this world where we can all flourish on this finite planet, is that there is no one-size-fits-all approach. There might be certain common elements or attributes we need, but ultimately how our models and our systems perform is dependent on the place, the people, the events and circumstances involved. And we can't easily predict the outcome until we try and do something. There's just too many variables to consider, especially when it comes to complex self-organizing systems we encounter as humans and in nature. One of the most common mistakes I, th I see humans doing on an ongoing basis is that we choose one model or a worldview we build our systems and structures around it. And then instead of being flexible and willing to make changes or let some things go that aren't working, we try and hold on to it, these systems and we structures, even when they're not working. And we just hold on, we hold on really tight. And of course, the people that do that most are the ones that are benefiting the most. And I'm going to use the example of our economy based on economic growth, for example. And that's one of my one of my big beefs. Um, so long ago, you know, it appeared that this model of economic growth for raising people up out of poor situations was working. But that's no longer the case. Now, this model with our economies are based on this economic growth model is fueled by huge amounts of energy and resource use. Um, but on a finite planet with 8 billion humans, there's there comes a point where the living systems, our economies and lives are built on collapses. There are warning signs all around us already about the fact this system is not working, such as inequity such as that the benefits of the growth is going to the people who already have the most already, that this system is causing climate instability through our energy use. Um, there's also our use of resources as damaging our water resources, our water supplies that we cannot live without. But we still cling on to this model. Now, I just read an article about the coming global decline in human population. 
and the problem it causes for economic growth. And when I hear about the decline in human population, obviously if it's not through something extremely traumatic, through war and huge amounts of disease, I think it's a good thing. I, I, I think it's a good thing if more humans live, if we have less humans, but we live to a better quality of life. But this article just talked about how declining human population was a problem for continuing economic growth. And so I think if anyone's got rational mind, we can see a lot of our problems we have on this earth because of the number of humans we have here. But again, I mean, I live in Canada. We bring in more and more people just to fuel that economic growth. And so we're just clinging on to this outmoded model rather than looking at the signs around us, the living world's giving us and creating and responding to these signs and changing our model. Now, let's go back to imperfect action. If you and I and our communities are going to move forward to create the world and lives we want and take action and create the new models and systems we need, the question is, the question is, what characteristics do we need to have? And I don't mean the characteristics of these systems. I mean, the characteristics of us, us as individuals, us as people and communities to build these systems? What characteristics do we have to embody? And my quick answer is persistence, a willingness to continually learn, observe, respond, and adjust. You know, just like the wastewater example, when we're creating or building new systems and structures, we often have to keep going back. We have to learn and adjust and keep improving and we also have to respond to unforeseen situations and challenges, no matter how hard we try to anticipate things ahead of time. And I'm going to tell you, this was the hardest thing I learned as a young engineer. Because when you go to school or university, you do a course or, or a project for a period of time, you get a mark and you move on. And same for many people who go work in consulting. You get a project or an assignment, you work on it for a time and move on. And you don't have to keep going back to clean up any mistakes or messes. When you work somewhere, for example, like I did as, as a manufacturing place, I think I worked there around seven plus years. When you work somewhere and you stay there after all the contractors and the consultants have left, someone has to make the system work. Now, we did that in that project that happened to us. We made a decision during the design phase of that facility that one process was not a problem. So we did nothing additional with it. But later on, through again, through our mistakes, through things going wrong, we learned that in certain situations that that process, that waste could cause us huge problems. So we had to go back and do more work with this time, no, essentially no budget. And this was a really hard lesson. You can do a really good job. You can have a good team, but you still need to keep going back to make changes and keep adjusting and anticipating and responding to situations and conditions. 
even get everything working really well and then something else happens and you just have to keep going back again and make more changes and more improvements. Now, if you've listened to a few of these episodes, you're probably learning that I like to attach much of what I talk about back to science and fundamentals. And it's for my own. I I like to know that I'm just not making stuff up as I go along. I like to know that what I'm doing and thinking and where I'm heading with this is attached to some solid fundamental science. So there's an online resource I found a few years ago, and it's a group called the Academy for Systems Change. And their website has various articles and resources by the late Danella Meadows, a renowned systems thinker and one of the authors of Limits to Growth. And that's how I found the pages on about this Academy for Systems Change was through searching for work by Danella Meadows. And I want to tie this idea of imperfect action back to the fundamentals of how systems work. And for me, this is embodied in a section of an article called Dancing with Systems by Janella Meadows, and I wanted to read a section of it to you. It says, self-organizing, non-linear feedback systems are inherently unpredictable. They are not controllable. They are understandable only in the most general way. The goal of foreseeing the future exactly and preparing for it perfectly is unrealizable. The idea of making a complex system do just what you want it to do can be achieved only temporarily at best. We can never fully understand our world, not in the way our reductionist science has led us to expect. Our science itself, from quantum theory to the mathematics of chaos, leads us into irreducible uncertainty. For any objective other than the most trivial, we can't optimise. We don't even know what to optimise. We can't keep track of everything. We can't find a proper sustainable relationship to nature, each other or the institutions we create if we try to do it from the role of omniscient conqueror. For those who stake their identity on the role of omniscient conqueror, the uncertainty exposed by systems thinking is hard to take. If you can't understand, predict and control, what is there to do? Systems thinking leads to another conclusion, however. Waiting, shining, obvious as soon as we stop being blinded by the illusion of control. It says that there is plenty to do of a different sort of doing. The future can't be predicted, but it can be envisioned and brought lovingly into being. Systems can't be controlled, but they can be designed and redesigned. We can't surge forward with certainty into a world of no surprises, but we can expect surprises and learn from them and even profit from them. We can't expose our will upon a system. We can listen to what the system tells us and discover how its properties and our values can work together to bring forth something much better than could ever be produced by our will alone. We can't control systems or figure them out, but we can dance with them. And so I just love that quote, that article by Danella Meadows. So I wanted to highlight a few things from that. 
We start with a vision. We get a general understanding of our world. We design our system. And then we look and listen and learn and respond and adapt to what the system is telling us. And I wanted to illustrate this with a story around my own imperfect action around food systems. Because, again, everyone understands food and, and I know I talk about food quite a lot. So the food systems I want to live on are modelled on nature and they're local, seasonal, whole, enjoyable, low input and they're full of variety and diversity. And again, I model, I take my ideas and model from how nature creates this abundant, healthy systems. Now, when I first wanted to eat to, I'll say eat that way, I'll, I'll say eat, initially I focused on really eating. I initially focused on sourcing food. I'm trying to buy healthy local meats, regional organic grains, and during the summer months, good local, I'll say local-ish, fruits and vegetables. And I did this by shopping at markets, especially specialty stores, farm stands, and some seasonal food festivals like cranberry and apple festivals. But the problem I ran into is that many of the farm stands, for example, that come to town, they cater to the tourists and cottages, and so they're only around for about the eight-week summer season. The farmer's market also has very few fruit and vegetable vendors due to the location. So then I created a different vision. So my vision was that I was going to, again, I had those pillars I wanted my food systems to be, but then I decided, I shifted and decided I would grow a lot of my own fruit and vegetables, some legumes, eggs and meat. And in, because in theory, I have enough space around my home to do this if it's well managed. The real challenges and constraints were my time, as I still had to work and, of course, exercise, maintain my home. Um, money was also a constraint because I did have some disposable income. I had enough disposable income so I could do things myself but and buy some things but not enough to pay for professionals to set everything up for me. I also had some gardening and growing skills but I was no, by no means an expert. So I built new gardens, put in trees and shrubs, bought chickens and increased my skills. But the problem was it was a lot of work because growing was only the first step then there's harvesting, replanting, storing, processing, everything else even including making your own meals. But due to various, say, plant and crop failures and learning and learning about what I enjoy doing and what I can maintain, I had to change my plans. Because one thing I noticed is that I love connecting with people over food, not just toiling in over my gardens in, in isolation. So I adjusted my plan again and I decided I'd only grow the foods that tasted much better fresh that I enjoyed or were new to me or were not easily available or that I needed in a large quantity and the rest I decided I would buy through local markets or from growers I enjoyed the relationships and connections that could be made but when in 2020 when the global pandemic hit all the lockdowns and shutdowns the availability of some of the fresh foods at local markets and even grocery stores became a challenge 
So I had to adjust again. And this time I decided to grow more foods and sourced foods differently. But by this time I had better skills and I'd learned a lot of different lessons and it became easier. Now again, from all this, there's been a lot of beneficial and unexpected side effects. And one of the most notable is the changes to my own eating habits. I get so much enjoyment from all those different things that eating has just become the culmination of the whole process rather than something I obsess about like I used to. Another benefit I didn't expect has been the joy and connection and gratitude I feel that something as small as an inexpensive as a pack of seeds with the right care can turn into massive abundance no matter who grew it. So every year I, you know, I assess what's worked, what is not from growing, buying and storing. Um, you know, then in late fall and early winter, while I'm enjoying what I've, the fruits of that season, I make a plan for the next year and I continually adjusting. What's my capabilities? What have I learned? What's going on with the climate? What's, what's my resource situation? And so I've really found particularly with food, that there isn't a straight line to go from where you started to the desired destination or vision, at least for food, because it's sort of on a series of annual harvest, is that it's this series of annual loops with each, you know, it's, it's a series of loops. And each year you have different successes and failures and you gain new skills and knowledge and you meet new and interesting people. And so you're continually adapting and adjusting to what's going around you and taking that into account. My actions with food have been imperfect along my whole journey, but I've made a lot of progress towards my vision. I've had to when things look like they're going wrong, I've had to intervene. I've had to change my strategy and I've had to, I've had to adapt all the way along through my own reading and learning and, um, looking at the situation we're in now, both environmentally, politically, socially, etc. Uh, I'm seeing increasing signs of some trouble in the future. And I mean, there's many different kinds. We don't know what's going to actually happen. So I'm doing the best to mitigate things as I see them now. But there's so many things I can't predict. So some of my more immediate concerns, I'll say that I'm doing my best to, to mitigate, but I can't predict are protect, protecting my chickens and turkeys from the avian bird flu. So far, it hasn't come up as far as, as where I live, but it's expected that at any year it's going to arrive in, in the county that I live. So I've taken measures to deal with that. But again, another concern, what happens if that bird flu makes the jumps to mammals? What if that bird flu makes that jump and starts endangering myself and my dogs? So will I still keep, will I just take more precautions or will I put an end to keeping those animals and will I replace them? What And what will I replace them with to keep my food supply coming? And I have a few ideas. You know, other things I think about is how can I protect my gardens and plants from an extended drought? 
Um, you know, other ones could be if there's a forest fire in where I live, you know, how do I evacuate? Where do I take my animals to and how do I evacuate them? So there's all these things that can happen that I can't control and predict, but I can do the best I can and again, be ready to adapt and change depending what, what happens. So I wanted to end this episode by saying start visioning and start taking action. Even if you can't see the exact, exact path to your end result, even if you don't know exactly what you're doing, just start taking action. Because even projects dealing with relatively simple systems, like the wastewater example, with plenty of resources and access to experts and a good sized budget, are not perfect. If you have a vision and you back it with action and you're willing to keep learning and adjusting and improving and responding, and most of all, if you're persistent with all that, you can create the world you want. And with that thought, I want to say goodbye for now and see you in the next episode.